Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. As we approach God's word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Listen to God's word this day. I am Betty Jo Richards, and I am currently serving on session. Please join me in our unison prayer for illumination. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. Open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, our hands to serve it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn to God's word this morning. First scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Let us listen to God's word. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Whitman. Good morning, Marina. How are both of you today? Great. I am so glad both of you are here. Now, for the adults who are also here, I know that you pay attention to the children's sermon every single week. I don't have to ask. I know that you do. Uh, But today, it is very important that even the adults pay attention this morning because uh, the scripture reading that I'm going to share with our children is the first part of the Jonah scripture reading that all of you need to know because soon... Carter uh, will be preaching on it. So the story that I'm going to read to our kids is about Jonah, and specifically Jonah and the big fish. And for the adults, again, who are paying attention, this is Jonah chapters 1 and 2 that you're about to hear. You're just going to hear it in the kid-friendly version. So Jonah and the big fish. One day, when Jonah was minding his own business... God spoke to him. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell the people that I know they aren't living the way I want them to. I want them to change their ways. Jonah may have started with the right idea, but once he started walking, Jonah began thinking about what a long walk it was to Nineveh. Hmm, Jonah thought. I don't really want to go to Nineveh. I'll go the other way, and God will never know. So Jonah walked 
and walked and walked away from Nineveh. When Jonah got to the sea, he paid to get onto a boat to take him even farther away. (sighs) Jonah yawned. All that walking made me tired. I'm going to take a nap. And so I believe that you can see that picture. You see Jonah is walking away. God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. So Jonah was walking the other way. So Jonah on the boat curled up on a pile of rope and fell asleep. But God saw Jonah. Whoosh! God sent a strong wind that tossed the ship to and fro. The sailors were so afraid that they started throwing things overboard to make the boat lighter and save themselves. The sailors worried, what's going on? And so they woke Jonah up. God is mad at me for not listening, Jonah said. So throw me overboard. And so they did. And suddenly the sea was calm again. But look out, Jonah. Here comes a big fish. Gulp, gulp, gulp. The fish swallowed Jonah. And Jonah sat inside the dark, smelly fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed, Help me, God. I'm sorry. Finally, the fish spit Jonah out onto the beach. So I know you saw this picture up there, but look, Jonah is inside of the big fish, clinging on for his dear life. That must have been really scary for Jonah, right? So here's what I need you all to know, and this is a lesson not only for children, but it's also a very important lesson for us adults, is sometimes listening to God and doing what God asks of us, sometimes that's really hard. And sometimes we don't always want to do what God asks of us, especially if it feels like we're the only one who has to do it. That's what happened to Jonah is that he was asked to do something and he was the only one who was asked and he really didn't want to do it. So yes, even sometimes it's hard to listen to what God wants of us. But it's also very important to know that even when we don't listen to what God wants of us, God is still with us and God still loves us. So what happened here is Jonah was swallowed by the fish because he didn't listen to what God wanted of him. But even when he was inside that fish, God was still with him. And that's what we need to remember. So we're going to continue this story now. So Jonah has been spit out of the fish. He's on the beach. And Pastor Carter is soon going to continue that story in his sermon. But before he does, why don't we say a prayer together? Can we fold our hands and bow our heads? And all of us, if you could repeat after me, Dear God, thank you for always being with us. Sometimes it is hard to listen to you or do the right thing. But we hold on to the promise that you are always with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I will continue the story, but before that, excuse me, I want to say a word about the book of Jonah as a whole. Jonah is one of the 12 smaller prophet books at the back of the Old Testament that have those unusual names like Habakkuk and Nahum and Obadiah, in which you're liable to skip over when you're turning the pages if a few of them stick together because they are so small. But Jonah is different from all of the other prophets for at least three reasons. First, unlike the other prophet books, Jonah has very little to say here on behalf of God. There's really only one sentence. The book tells us much more about what Jonah did and didn't do rather than what he said. And second, Jonah is the only one of the prophets whose principal audience is a foreign people, the Ninevites. And they're not only foreigners, they are enemies of the Israelites, and indeed powerful enemies. They have conquered Israel. Third, there is the humor. Not the first word that usually comes into mind when you talk about Old Testament prophets. The writer of Jonah is not afraid to exaggerate to make a point and has a sense of humor. The writer says it takes three days, for example, to cross Nineveh. In a modern, much larger city like New York, it wouldn't take three days. Then when the people of Nineveh repent, Jonah tells us that not only do the people wear sackcloth, a sign of mourning and repentance and and guilt, but also every animal. And then there is the whale. The detail that captures the imagination of every child who has heard or read this story. That whale is actually sent to save Jonah and to give him three days to reconsider how he wants to respond to God's call before Jonah is spewed out on the beach. In the words of one of my favorite biblical commentators, there's nothing graceful about this for Jonah. It's salvation by projectile vomiting. It might even be a resurrection with a lot of slime. In any case, Jonah is back on land and God is ready to speak to him again. Just a second. Yep. Good. The book of Jonah is a story with a moral point, much like the parables of Jesus. And while Jonah's story is a whale of a tale, it is not just a fish story, and it is not just a children's story. It is a story for adults, and there may be more Jonah in each one of us than we might like to admit. So with all that in mind, let us continue the story beginning with chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim the message I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. 
When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Even after Jonah has proven himself to be a reluctant and disobedient prophet, trying to duck his assignment and sail as far away in the opposite direction of Nineveh as he can, because that is what Tarshish represented, God still comes back to Jonah. Even after Jonah has proven himself to be a foolish prophet, thinking that somehow he can get away from God, God still comes back to Jonah. God comes back to Jonah and gives him the same assignment. Speak to the Ninevites and tell them they've got to change or they will be overthrown. And this time, Jonah does what God says. He walks across the great city, as you just heard. He cries out to the enemy of his people, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And you can just imagine after that how he would get up each morning, rip off the page of the calendar if they had it, and just count down the days looking forward to that destruction. 40, 39, 38, 37... But before he can complete the countdown, the king orders the people and the animals to be covered with sackcloth and commands everyone to turn from their evil ways and the violence that is in their hands. Who knows, he says, maybe God will relent. And then there is another surprise. God does. God changes God's mind. And the people of Nineveh are spared You know, at this point, you would think that Jonah would be ecstatic. You would think he would be racing to the temple to thank God for graciously giving Jonah a second chance to carry out his assignment. You would think he would be grateful to God for protecting him while he was walking across the city of his enemy and threatening that they would be overthrown. 
You would think that he would be singing praise to God that his little speech had caused the people of Nineveh to change. You would think. But no, not Jonah. Jonah is not thankful or joyful or awed. Instead, he's angry. And he's not just a little angry. The Hebrews suggest that he is burning with anger. Why? Because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. Jonah was looking forward to seeing Nineveh destroyed, and now God is taking that pleasure away. What a contrast Jonah makes to the disciples in the first passage that Betty Jo read earlier in Mark 1. When God calls Jonah, Jonah tries to run off in the other direction and hide from God. When Jesus calls these four fishermen here in Mark 1, they drop their nets and follow Jesus immediately. It takes Jonah three chapters and a second chance before he shows up in Nineveh. It takes the disciples only a few verses to respond to Jesus. They don't have to be asked twice. And yet, while Jonah may seem to be an example of how not to live as a man or woman of God, there's a lot we can learn from him. In fact, much of what we learn from Jonah is what the disciples will later learn from being with Jesus. Lesson one, there are no missions impossible when it comes to God's missions. Jonah seemingly has an impossible task. Who is he but a nobody? In contrast, the Assyrian Empire was a superpower of the time with a stronger economic base, stronger military than any other kingdom on the earth. And they certainly were not believers in Israel's God, the God that Jonah would cite. No wonder he fled to Tarshish. And yet... When Jonah preaches his simple sermon, the people of Nineveh from the king on down repent and change. We too can feel like we are very small and the world is so big. One response is just to give up. Especially when you're a Christian in North America or Europe and you see the church shrinking in numbers and resources. Or we may decide there's just too much to try to focus on the big issues out there, on communities or justice or poverty. Better to concentrate on our little family, our individual sphere, our happiness, our peace. As one person commenting on this text writes, the world conspires to make Jonah's out of all of us. The world beats us down and tells us, you can't change the big picture, so just fall in line and make the best living you can for yourself and your family. But what Jonah and Jesus' call of his disciples reminds us is that the reign of God is at hand now. Even though we can't see it, even though it's not as complete as it will be at some point, We are indeed small, relatively powerless, but God does not expect us to change the world by ourselves. All we are called to do is to listen and obey, 
to play our given role in the theater of God's plans. God, the playwright, alone can see how everything will fit together to work for God's purposes. We do our part, as small as it may be, and let God do the rest. Jonah is weak, but his words, with God's help, are enough to change a people. When it comes to the church, don't let some of the trends in North America and Western Europe obscure what is happening in the rest of the world. The church that began with these four disciples in Mark 1 is now something like 2 billion people across the world. Our work is far from done, but when we are doing God's work, nothing is futile. Nothing is ever done without hope. Lesson two, God sticks with those God has called. Perhaps the most important verse in that whole book of Jonah is the first one that I just read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How would you describe Jonah? Stubborn, disobedient, reluctant, fearful? How would you describe the God we see in action in Jonah? Persistent, incredibly patient, gracious, merciful. Jonah gives up on God, but God does not give up on Jonah. And while the disciples look a lot better here in Mark 1, we know they'll blow it as well. James and John will argue over who's the greatest and who gets to sit next to Jesus. Andrew will disappear when Jesus hangs on the cross. And Simon Peter, he will deny that he even knows Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And yet God sticks with them as God sticks with Jonah. We may have a whole host of reasons why we are not worthy of being a disciple of Christ. We're not good enough, we think. We do not pray enough. We do not trust enough. We're too anxious, too impatient. But that's not how God sees us. God does see all that and still thinks that we can be disciples and prophets doing God's word and work and speaking God's word. This God we worship and try to obey. This Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, we try to listen to and follow is remarkably persistent, incredibly patient, amazingly gracious, and ever merciful. God does not want us to stay the same, but God does not wait to love us or use us until after we've gotten our life in shape. Jesus wants his disciples to change and grow but he does not wait until his disciples are perfect before calling them to follow. He calls us now because he knows it's only when we spend time with him and among Jesus' other disciples that we actually will change and grow. And when we fail, when we fall down, as inevitably we will do, God gives us another chance as God gives Jonah a second chance. And not just a second chance, but 70 times seven chances. Jesus lifts his disciples up again and again 
as he will lift up these four disciples when they fail him. Lesson three, God's grace can upset us. God's grace certainly upsets Jonah. He who had a second chance from God is mad that God has given the Ninevites a second chance. Jonah is angry at God, not for giving him such a tough and dangerous assignment, which it was, but for making that assignment successful. The people of Nineveh repent and are spared. Jonah's problem with God is that God is not just sort of a private God that will go out and destroy his enemies like he wants him. Jonah's problem with God is that God seems to have room in God's heart for everyone. Even those we consider enemies. It's easy to laugh and Jonah and criticize him, but isn't there a little bit of Jonah in each one of us? Certainly God's people have been tempted throughout history to try to limit God's grace and love. Jesus was criticized by the religious leaders for spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners. And the rank-and-file Jew would criticize Jesus for spending time with a wealthy Pharisee. The first great controversy of the church was whether the church would allow Gentiles to be part of the church as well as Jew. There's something in human nature that wants to limit God's grace and is tempted to find God's grace disturbing. Like Jonah, we can claim God's grace for ourselves, our loved ones, our sin, but begrudge that God's love and grace might extend to people that we don't like, that we don't approve of, or even call our enemy. Sometimes it seems like some Christians even relish others going to hell or being left behind because they deserve it. Just as Jonah seemed to relish Nineveh's destruction. The problem, it seems, is that God has sent Jesus Christ into the world for the whole world. The problem is that God keeps loving people, keeps inviting people, keeps offering second chances, keeps extending grace. It's not like God is some sentimental old fool who in the face of evil and sin just says a big whatever. No, the people in Nineveh are called to repent, to give up their evil ways, to change, and they do. But the message of Jonah, like that of the Gospels, is that the love of God is for all people. That the judgment of God is for all people, Christian and non-Christian. That the creator in heaven wants nothing more than to stand face to face with every creature, beginning with us, but not ending there. Friends, God still calls Jonas. God still calls disciples. God still calls us. What we can do may seem so little. Who we are may feel so frail and flawed. But by the grace and power of God is revealed in Jesus Christ, there's no telling what God can do in and through us. Not just for our sake, not just for the sake of those we love, 
but also for the sake of those we find hard to love. Indeed, for the sake of the whole world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.